Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh and glad to have you along for the ride today. This hour, we are going to focus on the media. Well, that's a good thing to rest to focus on, but especially for us in the body of Christ. It's important for us to focus on this because of the way that American diplomacy is often played out in the media and often played through sound bites and headlines. Uh, there was a Twitter post that went out yesterday, for example, featuring the 44th president of the United States in a 40-second video that basically was telling uh, Democrat voters, hey, if you don't get out and vote Democrat, if we don't vote for more Democratic Congress people and, uh, and senators and things like that, we won't be able to codify, uh, and I say codify, a lot of people say codify, I think it sounds like coddling, so I say codify. Anyway, uh, codify, codify into law, federal law, Roe versus Wade. Now, to be fair, Roe versus Wade is, I mean, it's, it's one of those things, you know, where, I mean, <laughs> Roe versus Wade is one of those things where if enough Democrats supported this on a federal level and got the House and Senate together while they still have a supermajority, it could become federal law. There's no mystery there. Right now, it's a state's issue. I think, I, I believe, as it should be. And there are many leading Republicans that are trying to move in that direction as well. But I can't stress enough how important the whole uh, elections have consequences mantra is, especially in the midterm right now. And by the way, speaking of elections, um, it seems like the Democrats want to be the pro-abortion party, even though 35 percent of registered Democrats are pro-life and favor some type of restriction on abortion. 69% of Republicans are pro-life, which means that 31% are not. So when you get right down to it, it's not a question of the Republicans are pro-life and the Democrats aren't, and that's how you should vote. But when you look at what the party platforms say, it is interesting how many people will register and vote Republican, even though they have more of a pro-abortion stance and the other way around on the Democrat side. Um, toward that end, though, the Democrats also have a tendency to say a lot of things that just aren't true. Like, for example, I mean, uh, the 44th president of the United States in his address. His vice president, by the way, is the current president of the United States. Remember, I don't mention names as much as I can. You can figure out who I'm talking about. Uh, he was passionately pro-abortion. This is a guy who never, I mean, eight years in office, never once participated in the March for Life. Uh, his predecessor did usually with a phone message or something like that. Uh, his successor actually did wa uh, address at a March for Life. Instead, President 44, was President Obama, um, actually went to a Planned Parenthood fundraising banquet and had the courage to say to everybody, of course, I'm going to do everything I can to keep you well-funded, and God bless Planned Parenthood, because apparently someone hasn't explained the biology to the former president. The biology meaning that when a woman and a man conceive a child, uh, it's the only way you can conceive a child, though sometimes you can use test tubes and in vitro fertilization and things like that. But when you see people in a same-sex relationship, they cannot procreate with having a, without having a member of the opposite sex participate. So two guys say they want to be fathers, then there has to be a woman carrying the child. Two women say they want to be mothers together. They have to have a guy who participates on the sperm side. That, that, seems to, that rhetoric seems to be lost, or that seems to be lost as political rhetoric to the left. And the idea that the uh, former president of the United States, who actually passed the bar, had a law degree, I mean, has a law degree and was a practicing attorney at one point, um, would not understand that basic biology is really kind of, it's disheartening. And yet that does kind of help us explain why so many people on the Democrat Party, when voter election integrity laws were being presented by mostly majority Republican uh, legislatures, they were running around saying, this is crazy. This is going to set us back, you know, millions of years. The idea that 
the former, the 44th president of the United States has put out an ad where he basically says, our fundamental rights are at stake. I mean, you want to talk about dog whistles. I mean, here is the first African-American president, ever elected president of the United States, served for two terms. When he takes to video and sends it out to Democrats everywhere and says, your fundamental rights are at risk, are at stake. Look, <laughs> brothers and sisters, the only person who has a fundamental right that's at risk is the preborn child in this case. Okay, a, a woman can go to any state that has legalized abortion and get an abortion if she so, so chooses. She can move to that state. Remember when assisted suicide was all the rage? Because all the states were thinking about passing law. A woman in California, Bay Area, decided that she wanted to end her life legally. She moved to Oregon. I mean, there, there are very few women who are facing a crisis pregnancy who are in a situation where an abortion is actually medically necessary or even anything other than emotionally necessary. Take it as from someone who has three wonderful children, uh, and then I have three bonus kids uh, along the way, and one of my kids came along, quote-unquote, unplanned. Was it her fault she was unplanned? No, she was right on time. Her mom and I were the ones who had to get in, uh, in sync. And what would we have done? Well, you know what? I'm in ministry and my wife's in ministry. And well, she wasn't my wife at the time. And she was my fiance. And what are we going to do? Well, you know what the left would say? Well, you know, you got a lot of life going on here. And boy, you can't afford that kid because you make ministry. So I've talked to pastors who've had abortions. Their wives had abortions. And the reason, simply put, is because people at the church said, you don't make enough money to support another kid. One guy had three daughters, fourth daughter is on the way, and someone pulled his wife aside and said, you know what, you really ought to, you know, I mean, it's just good stewardship. And they actually attempted to end the child's life. I mean, it's, it's crazy, that, that type of mentality, without saying, hey, you know what, why don't you release that child for adoption? Hello! I mean, <laughs> but this is the party of misinformation and disinformation. So it's no surprise that when Georgia and Texas signed election integrity laws into law back in 2021 the left went nuts this is crazy election where where our fundamental rights are at risk i mean you know what this is in the south you know what this is going to do they're going to require voter identification and uh, that's going to disenfranchise the black vote and what are we uh, the, the president of the united states at the time the 46th president january of 21 called these laws jim crow 2.0 so what about election integrity take georgia for example Georgia has a, a, a Anglo, Caucasian, if you will, uh, male, who is currently the governor, Brian Kemp, and an African-American female, Stacey Abrams, running for governor. Now, in 2018, they both ran against each other. It was a very, very closely contested race. Brian Kemp wound up being declared the winner based on numerous vote counts. Stacey Abrams refused to concede. Two years later, when Donald Trump refused to concede the presidential election, guess who was one of the loudest voices telling him he should? Yeah, Stacey Abrams, who never conceded the gubernatorial race in 2018, even though she lost, as Joe Biden would say, fair and square. So, of course, she's been campaigning. Oh, my goodness, 2021, these laws passed, and oh, it's going it's to make it tougher for people to vote, and we're going to have lower voter turnout, and this is all the Republicans' plan to keep their majority, blah, blah, blippity, blah. Well, guess what happened? This past Monday was the first day of early voting in the state of Georgia. The ballots went out a week or so before. Early voting began on Monday. And guess what happened? 
Yeah, you you know what happened, right? The voter turnout was down, right? African-American vote was non-existent, right? Well, how about these apples? <laughs> how about them apples? How about these apples? On the first day of early voting in Georgia in 2018, prior to the madcap adventures of 2020, where we had all sorts of things going nuts because of mail-in balloting and when can you collect them and where can you collect them, et cetera, et cetera. Now that we have some normalcy, now that we have established voting times in Georgia, that was one of the things that President Biden and Stacey Abrams went on the rant about. Oh, they're limiting your access to voting. No, no, there was no limit. Quite frankly, the voting laws stated that you could vote during, quote, unquote, regular business hours, but they were not clearly defined. Most election laws allow for voting from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m., but Georgia said that their early voting would have to go from regular business hours, and what they did was they codified or codified into law regular business hours as 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. So that's shorter than the 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. that are extended on election day, et cetera, et cetera. But it's entirely up to the citizens of Georgia to like or not like that. The legislature passed the measure, and what did Biden say? They're, they're limiting your access to voting. No, they're actually clearly defining your access. They took it from regular business hours to 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. I would have said 8 to 5, but I don't live in Georgia, right? So... 2018, first day of early voting, approximately 75,000 Georgia residents and registered voters went to the polls, dropped off their ballots. First day of midterm elections was this past Monday, the 17th of October for the 2022 midterms. And now with the Jim Crow 2.0 laws and the voter suppression laws, and we're going to send you back to wherever laws, guess how many people turned out to vote on day one? In 2018, day one was 75,000. In 2022, day one was 125,000. Nearly twice as many people voted early in Georgia on the first day of the early voting in 2022 than they did in 2018. 2022 was the first year of these new archaic Jim Crow in the 21st century laws. And... (laughs) I, it was March, not January 21, when President Biden referred to this. He said, this must end. We have a moral and constitutional obligation to act. Well, quite frankly, it looks like the state legislature in Georgia was the one who acted and got it right, and it's Democrats who are getting it all wrong. Even Nora O'Donnell of CBS had to report. Uh, well, uh, first day of early voting, and uh, at the time she issued her report, 4.05 p.m. Eastern, on Monday, she said, well over 100,000 people have already voted, and that smashes the previous midterm record. So everyone on the left who was so concerned about the quote-unquote election integrity laws actually disenfranchising African-American voters, well, they missed the point. They missed the point completely. And you know what? Uh, to those uh, men and women in the state legislature in uh, and Georgia for passing these laws, good for them. And good for us. May we have more men and women with that kind of integrity. By the way, I haven't seen the numbers yet for Texas early voting, but we saw in the primaries that Texas actually had an increase of Democrat voters versus Republican. And in Georgia, we don't know which party they voted for. We just have the number of votes that were counted so far. But, you know, it's important for us to get the story straight and understand that there are certain aspects of the political world that are impacted by the way we vote. Another case in point, 
Take a look at President 45. Rather than running ads saying we need to elect more Republicans, uh, well, President 44 ran, when the, ran the we need to elect more Democrats so we can basically codify into law that abortion would be you know, a woman's fundamental right. Uh, President 45 did tremendous work with regard to the area of religious liberty as it pertains to international boundaries and things of that nature. He was a huge friend of Israel. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the big issues uh, was whether or not Israel's true capital would be recognized, Jerusalem, or Tel Aviv, the one they had to do to kind of keep people off of their uh, mark. Well, you know, it's not just foreign governments that are enemies of Israel. As a matter of fact, there are many enemies within the boundaries of this very small, tiny nation that is the size of the state of New Jersey. Shaul Katzov is a writer. He's a speaker. He's now a Texan, but uh, basically uh, asks the question in a brand new book of his, when we see in Psalm 122, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, may they prosper who love you, how do we know what to pray for and exactly who to pray for? His brand new book is called Israel's Enemies Within. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Shaul Katzoff is going to join me to talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Clients love her. Insurance companies fear her. No other personal injury attorney knows the inner workings of insurance companies like Stephanie Cover of Cover Law. In a cutthroat industry where most attorneys don't even last five years, Stephanie Cover spent 20 years defending insurance companies, never compromising her integrity despite constant external pressure. During those 20 years, Stephanie Cover gained invaluable insight into the tricks of the trade. She knows more about your insurance policy than your adjuster does. Today, Cape Wright's personal injury attorney uses her unparalleled knowledge of the insurance company's playbook to call their bluff every time, even earning the grudging respect from lawyers and adjusters who know they can't get anything by her. She used to defend them. Now she beats them at their own game. Schedule a free, no-obligation consultation at capewrightradio.com slash coverlaw. She knows the other side. Well, a special guest is joining me today here on The Bottom Line to talk about a topic that we in the body of Christ need to get right, and that is how do we effectively as Christians pray for the nation of Israel? What What is happening in the Middle East right now, and is it possible that there might be an enemy within that we just aren't uh, paying close enough attention to that uh, we can do a better job of paying attention to? Joining me here on The Bottom Line show today is Shaul Katzov who was born and raised in Israel, and about 25 years ago or so, he came to faith in Christ, and then during his biblical studies and his ministry in the U.S., he was led to write a book about what's happening and to kind of help us in the Christian side of the equation, of course he is also as well from the Messianic side, uh, understand better what's happening in Israel. The book is called Israel's Enemies Within. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Let's take a look at the modern enemies that threaten Israel's peace. Shaul Katzaf, welcome to the Bottom Line Show today. Well, thank you very much. Shalom and blessing upon you and uh, the, your audience. And now we're just celebrating the first day of Sukkot. So mm-hmm. Chag Sameach in Hebrew, happy holidays, happy tabernacle to thank everybody. You. Thank you. And to you as well. Talk, let's talk about what it means first and foremost. A lot of people would say, okay, I'm familiar with guys like uh, uh, Rabbi Jason Sobel and Jonathan Burnus and some of the guests we've had on here as well. Uh, talk about what it means to be a messianic uh, person, the Jewish tradition, understanding, of course, that you believe that Jesus is Messiah. What was that transformation like for you, Shaul? 
Well, that uh, transformation was, uh, in the beginning, there was a lot of, uh, for me, I, I was not, uh, uh, I, I was kind of afraid from that change in the beginning. Yeah. But when I got assurance from the Word of God, and it took me a year to struggle with that fact that Jesus, that Yeshua is the Messiah. But, but once I have revealed it from the Scriptures, from the Word of God, from the Tanakh, as I call it, as you call it, the Old Testament, uh, after a year of struggling, I came to the conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah, and I received him to my heart. I accepted him to my heart. Um, and it was back in 24th of June, 1996. Of course, there was a lot of struggling, especially from uh, um, my family, my immediate mm -hmm. family. Right. Um, I've lost a lot of friends, my, my current friends from from Tel Aviv, uh, but I've gained brothers and sisters in the Lord, and that Amen. was uh, there were, it was an amazing change. I'll bet, I'll bet. Well, those first yeah. few moments, I mean, of course, you're you're coming to uh, terms, of course, with the fact that you grew up in the Jewish tradition and you've got the background that you do, but then making it, uh, you know, that 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 final step of faith as it were what has the ministry experience been like for you as you talk to your friends your colleagues uh, maybe even family members now who are wondering uh you know uh, shaul what happened what happened to you <laughs> well in the beginning uh when in my first years as a believer in the, at least in my first year i would take them to the word of god and um i think i went the wrong way i tried to convince them that the the puzzle that you make from all the prophecies can make sense about uh, that Yeshua is for real. But that, but I didn't understand since I have been through, in such a transformation of heart. I didn't understand that it, you need to aim to the heart condition of everybody. You need to read the person's heart before you approach him with the gospel. Mm. Later in the years, I realized that if you're gonna go, if if you're coming with uh, especially with the Ten Commandments, especially with the Law of Moses, and you approach and you understand, and then people understand their need. They understand that, wow, we are lacking of fulfilling the Law of Moses. When they realize the curse that may come upon them, the judgment that, that may come upon them, then they will start to speak with you more sense about, then they will start to understand more about Yeshua, so about Jesus. So, um, but of course, uh, without the help of the Holy Spirit, um, I'll be just running like uh, uh, a dreidel in a circle. So, <laughs> yeah, the, I, I, I really, when I approach any Jewish person, I or any person, I've I tried to really pray in inside of my in my heart to ask the Holy Spirit to help me how to speak to that person. Uh, and really, I found it very effective. You know, today I, I spoke to uh, the front desk uh, secretary of my, I went to the dentist today, this morning, and mm -hmm. I just did the same. I, I asked the Holy Spirit in my heart to speak to her, and I saw results, right, immediate results. So I that is one example about when we grow in faith and we have, we are, abide ourselves with the Holy Spirit, how can we learn to speak to anyone, Jewish and non-Jewish alike? Boy, that's a great testimony from Shaul Katsav today here on The Bottom Line, an Israeli-born Messianic Jewish 
believer, uh, one of our brothers in the Lord, who's written a book about that's mm. something I think would be important for every Christian to read and understand. The book is called Israel's Enemies Within. We have a link for that book up at the thebottomlineshow.com. What is it about this book, uh, Shaul, that that's, I mean, a lot of our listeners are familiar with the works of, uh, uh, Jonathan, I mentioned Jonathan Burnus, Jason Sobel, et cetera, you know, who have a rabbinic uh, testimony, but uh, they're coming from an American perspective. What about this book, uh, Israel's Unseen Enemies, uh, that, why was it so important for you to write it, and what will we see that's different about this book? Okay, most of the people that you mentioned, they, uh, with their bro- dear brothers, uh, uh, in the Lord, but they never lived in Israel in order to understand the true enemies inside of Israel. Uh, for them, uh, Israel is confronting the enemies outside of it, which is the Iranians, Hezbollah, uh, international terrorism, uh, anti-Semitism, and so on and so forth. And of course, mm-hmm. all the countries that are surrounding Israel with its borders and all these issues. How I started to write about this book, it was about 15 years ago when I went to Odessa, Texas. It was not Odessa, Ukraine. Of course, Ukraine is on the news <laughs> yeah. right now. Uh, I'm yeah. about Odessa, Texas. And there was a lady there that asked me, Shaul, how can I pray for Israel? And then I spoke about the Iranian issue. I spoke about the, to pray about terrorism and so on. But when I went back to my hotel, the Lord spoke with me specifically saying, Lord, Shaul, you did not understand the question. She asked you, what about inside of Israel? What about the enemies inside of Israel? Mm-hmm. And that led me to do a research that lasts for 15 years wow. about the true enemies of Israel inside of Israel. And only during COVID, I back then I worked as a realtor. I mm-hmm. lost several deals during the COVID. I sure. find myself sitting at home and lifting my eyes to the heavens saying, Lord, what should I do now? How can I, <laughs> how can I bring the bread and butter to my family? Right. And the Lord looked at me and said with his kind eyes and, of course, spoke to me with the Spirit. And, of course, he spoke to me as a Jewish person to a Jewish person. He said, well, what are you waiting for? And I said, Lord, what do you mean what am I waiting for? And he said to me very calmly, Write the book that you have been researching for 15 years. Mm. And I sat down during COVID when nobody was allowed even to step out of his house, their Mm -hmm. homes. Remember that time? Oh, yeah. I started to write this book. And uh, that is the result. So I focused on several issues in the book. And uh, one of the major uh, issues of Israel is not just it's not just group. It's the way, for example, um, uh, the way that the uh, election system in Israel works. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are now witnessing, for example, that uh, Israel is going to its fifth campaign, huh. fifth campaign since 2019. Now, I focus on that on my first chapter in the, my book, because right now Israel is dealing with that issue of building a coalition to their parliament, to the Israeli Knesset, but they are not capable of doing so because of the escalation of the, especially the Arabic parties in the Israeli parliament. Mm. Um, the reason why we are going again to elections the fifth time is because the coalition tried to build 
the, the government tried to build a coalition with the Arab parties, and it succeeded only for a year and a half. What turns to be was that the Arab parties gained so much power that they actually blackmailed the Israeli government and, and put a lot of sticks in its wheels, and I explain about it in my book. This is only one example of what are the true enemies within. It's not just the Israeli Arab parties or the Israeli Arabs, but also the structure of the Israeli parliament that needs to be changed. Boy, that's a powerful statement from Shaul Katsav today here on The Bottom Line. He's the author of the brilliant new book called Israel's Enemies Within. Uh, we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we'll be giving away a copy or two at the end of our conversation. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the current situation and also why so many Christians get confused by the biblical mandate that we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. What exactly does that mean in the modern era? We'll talk about that in just a moment. The bottom line continues. When a young mother hears her baby's heartbeat for the first time, everything changes. They know that's a baby. And when you partner with us and Preborn, you let them see the ultrasound image and God takes care of the rest. Roger Marsh here for Preborn, our newest member of the Bottom Line Show family. Preborn is helping women by helping them see their child on the ultrasound, hear that baby's heartbeat for the first time after getting that pregnancy test, and you'd be amazed at the results. So far for the first half of this year, more than 25,000 babies have been saved through Preborn, and 25 ultrasound machines have been placed. Now it costs $28 to provide a free ultrasound for a woman who's facing an unplanned pregnancy and wondering what to do with the child. We tell her what option number three is in addition to option one and two. Option one, of course, you're a mom. Option two, legally, you can get abortion in some states. But option number three is adoption, and the ultrasound makes option number one or three much more palatable. Call 833-850-BABY right now. Make a $28 donation to save one life. Make a $28 a month donation to save a life each and every month. That's less than a dollar a day. 833 833- 850-BABY, 833-850-2229, or click the preborn banner when you go to kbrightradio.com today. Welcome back to The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Shal Katsev is my guest today here on the program. We're talking about his brand new book called Israel's Enemies Within. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have two copies of this great book to give away. Uh, give Teresa a call right now, where Crystal's answering the phones as well. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. The book is great because it really is written by someone who is native-born Israeli, grew up in Tel Aviv, uh, knows what that all is like, but then he had the chance to serve in the IDF, he understands the combat part, but he also knows that the situation in Israel is a lot more complex than a lot of us Americans understand, and especially American Christians who might be at odds with whether or not we should be supporting Israel. Uh, Raul, Shaul Katsav is the author of Israel's Enemies Within. We've got two copies of the book to give away right now. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. More of my conversation with Shaul Katsav in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to the special edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, a new friend. Actually, was introduced to him by Neil Boron, our friend from our sister station, WDCX in Buffalo. Shaul Katsav, uh, born and raised in Israel about a quarter century ago, came to the U.S., uh, well, actually came to faith in Christ and then came to the U.S., and uh, now makes his home in Texas, which is a great place to be, uh, especially since I know the guys from the television series The Chosen 
are, I think they're filming a lot of their stuff right near your home, uh, Shoal. The book is called Israel's mm -hmm. Enemies Within. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We've been talking about the different ways that we as Christians can, first of all, understand what's happening in Israel. And secondly, so we could be more specific in our prayers rather than just saying, well, you know, what's that uh, that psalm that says uh, we're, we're supposed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So Psalm 122.6 it is. We'll just pray without really knowing what's going on. Uh, before the break, Shal, you mentioned something about the Palestinians and you know, the Arab influence and the fact that there are terrorists even within um, the, the, the boundaries of Israel. Help us understand what's going on there, because as Christians, we don't know why anybody would want to destroy Israel. And yet there are some people who profess faith in Christ and say, well, the problem here is Israel. It's not these other guys. How, how do you help us reconcile what's going on there? First, I want to say about this quote that from the book of Psalm, pray for the peace of the Jerusalem. Actually, the word for pray for the peace of Jerusalem is Sha'alu Shlom Yerushalayim, which means inquire for the peace of Jerusalem. We as believers are, are called by God, are commanded by God to, to inquire, to research about the peace of Jerusalem and then pray. So that's yeah. the word, Sha'alu, to ask questions. And thank you for asking me the right questions. Now, about the Israeli Arabs, there's also another group that added to it that are called the Bedouin people. And mm -hmm. of course, most of them are loyal to Israel. Uh, and also the Israeli Arabs are citizens of Israel. And most of them are people that have jobs in Israel. They are the citizens of Israel. Uh, some of them, very a small minority of them are uh, even uh, serving as in the IDF, in the Israeli Defense Force. Mm -hmm. Some of them are even serving as in the police forces and so on and so forth. But there is a, a major changes that are going and an escalation that is going on inside the Israeli Arab society. Uh, because of uh, westernization that is going on in their uh, society, there is a lot of whatever they call it, honor killing. Mm. The Israeli Arabs uh, cannot stand that, the, especially the women, are become more modern, more open to Western culture, mm -hmm. and they are using weapons. I'm talking about weapons. Uh, I'm talking about guns, AR-15s, and all kinds of, of, of lethal weapons to kill women in their society. There's an amazing escalation of, of violence against women in the Israeli uh, Arab society. On top of that, the, even the police and the Minister of Internal Security, until today, I'm talking about the Israeli internal security officers and ministers, they would not confess how much weapons the Israeli Arabs collected in their society. They are mm -hmm. using the, that weapon uh, to, uh, to do a lot of wars between gangsters, but it is weapons that either was smuggled by, through Jordan, through Lebanon, even stolen from Israeli Defense Force military bases, and they are using it for fighting between themselves, gang fights. But in many, many cases, those weapons turns against, turned against Israeli civilians. I'm mm. talking about Israeli Arabs 
that are using weapons that some of them become radicalized in Islam to Islam, and they are using those weapons against Israeli Arabs. Now, I mentioned also the Bedouin. The Bedouins are half-nomad people that live in the Negev, which is south of Israel. They are half-nomad people. Some of them living in cities. Some of them are not. But they're, in, some ca- in many cases, their profession is to smuggle drugs and goods and weapons to Israel and from Israel to the border of Egypt. And unfortunately, in some cases, they smuggle through the tunnels weapons to the Hamas militants Mm -hmm. in Gaza and Mm -hmm. also Judah and Samaria. So even though most of those people, the the Bedouin people, are loyal to Israel, some of them, criminals, are doing actions that put them in the label of the enemies of the state Mm -hmm. because they are smuggling weapons and bringing drugs to the Israeli civilians. So now we have another enemy that is forming in the south that are the Bedouins. On top of that, these people are in confrontation on a daily basis with Israeli um, uh, uh, cultivators and agriculture people. And what they do, they steal their uh, agriculture machines. They burn just yesterday, there was on the news they burned a warehouse that they just put, they, they collected fruit in it. They mm-hmm. burned the whole warehouse that provide jobs, even to Israeli Arabs and to their own people. Mm. So now they are using agriculture terrorism because they claim that the lands that the Israeli farmers are using, it's their land, which is mm-hmm. not true. Mm-hmm. So right now in the South, as we speak, there is a whole confrontations of those people against the Israeli farmers that are working very hard to, make, to, to bring produce to the Israelis. It's incredible to think about this, uh, Shaul, because of the, just what the media rhetoric has been and trying to get a straight source, a straight answer you know, to what's happening here. Um, it seems like all the, the media reporting has been so one-sided, at least within 12 years we've been doing the Bottom Line show, where Israel's always the bad guy and there's always someone else who's being put upon. And yet when you see the attacks, and it's not just purely political, but I mean the fact that they're going after farmers, they're going after land. I mean the fact that uh, the 1948 came and went, it was miraculous that God allowed the reestablishing of the nation of Israel, but now it's just been under attack since then. Give our listeners some marching orders. They're hearing this. I mean, obviously we want them to pick up the book, Israel's Enemies Within, but give us some marching orders in terms of what we can be watching for, how we can be praying, and maybe even offering support, you know, whether it's through prayer or financial resources to organizations that are standing up for this. Of course. I, thank you. Uh, I would recommend uh, Joel Rosenberg uh, newsletter. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm getting uh, that, his emails on a, as much as I know on a weekly basis, and he's right on on information uh, regarding the land. He won't focus on the same topics that I focus on, but when it comes to the news, he will he will share it with uh, whoever needs the uh, information. And I'm sure that if you directly email him and ask him about specific issues, I'm sure he, has, uh, he will have some information to share with you. So Joel Rosenberg will be a great uh, information uh, for you all to have. 
Excellent. Excellent. Well, I appreciate that. And of course, we've got, we'll put a link at the bottom line show.com right next to uh, Shaul Katsuf in his book, Israel's Enemies Within. We've got a link there as well. Uh, Shaul, great to get to meet you, sir. Uh, thank you for your time today. We look forward to our next conversation coming up soon uh, with regard to the Israel, uh, Israeli enemies within that you write about in your brand new book. Thanks for being with us today here yes. on the Bottom Line Show. May I release you all with a blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May I say it in Hebrew? Amen. Yes, yes go right ahead. Go right ahead. In the name of our Messiah Yeshua. Amen. 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 Shaul Katsif, thank you for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, and happy holidays and blessings. What a great conversation and a powerful book. I highly recommend it. Shaul Katsav is the author of the book, Israel's Enemies Within. And we've got a link for it, the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. If you want to know how to pray more deeply for Israel, get a sharper image of uh, the political and societal and attitudinal landscape there and also the, uh, the various streams of Zionism, um, this is a book that will help you as an American Christian. I know it helped me. Um, And we've got two copies to give away right now. Crystal and Teresa are taking your calls. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the book is called Israel's Enemies Within by Shaul Katsav. Uh, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. As we continue, I know a lot of people are looking at the midterm elections and they're saying, okay, well, uh, there are some senatorial seats that are up for grabs. Of course, all the congressional seats are up. Uh, it's not a presidential year yet, but people are already looking ahead to 2024. And one of the main issues that the president of the United States will always have to deal with is foreign policy. And how is America represented in the world? As we continue, I want to take a look at a comparison of uh, President 44, 45, and 46 and their foreign policy and take a look at one major seemingly Western culture that has taken an about face on an American policy that uh, was kind of the standard the gold standard when it comes to Middle Eastern diplomacy uh, all through the Trump administration and even for parts of the Biden administration as well. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Don't overpay on interest and fees by going with the wrong lender. Newport Bay Mortgage won't charge you points on your reverse mortgage wherever it is possible for them to do so. You will have peace of mind with the possibility of having additional cash to draw from to pay for unexpected expenses. Owner Cliff and his team do what they can to maximize the amount of cash available to you while minimizing the cost of closing. The result of having another stream of income relieves stress that you didn't even know was there. You'll save thousands by working with Newport Bay Mortgage because they avoid charging you points and they will never tack on unnecessary fees. When considering ways to relieve financial stress in, before, or for retirement, you need Newport Bay Mortgage. Visit kbrightradio.com reverse. Contact Cliff today. Call 714-741-8080, 714-741-8080, NMLS 332-559. Newport Bay Mortgage is an equal opportunity housing lender. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. My thanks again to Shaul Katsef, the author of the book Israel's Enemies Within. Uh, we've got a couple of uh, 
copies of the book that we're giving away right now, and I really recommend it to you. As a guy uh, who grew up in Tel Aviv, uh, served in the IDF, then came to the U.S., now he's in Texas, and is doing this kind of mission work, helping American Christians understand what's going on in Israel and why it is important for us to pay attention. Uh, this is more than just you know reading uh, the words of Psalm 122, verse 6, uh, where we are encouraged to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and may they prosper who love you is the way that goes. That was King David 3,000 years ago instructing everyone who worships the true and holy God uh, to pray for the peace and security of, of Israel. And in fact, Jerusalem in Hebrew means inheritance of peace. But, you know, when you think about it, though, Jerusalem has been kind of a center of conflict. And, you know, it's amazing how Israel has enemies without, but also enemies within. And Shal Katsev uh, takes a look at the enemies, enemies within in his new book called Israel's Enemies Within. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Love him or hate him. Like him. Despise him. Tolerate him. Whatever you think of the, uh, the, the man Donald Trump, the president Donald Trump, actually had a very solid foreign policy. He had a great team working with him. Remember the first two years he was in office, Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina, was his uh, UN, U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. He had strong uh, State Department, uh, Mike Pompeo and, and others. He had a really solid team around him. But one thing that people, whether on both sides of the Trump aisle, not so much even on the political aisle, because let's face it, I mean, he's a polarizing figure even within his own party. But few could argue with the fact that one of the things that Donald Trump will be remembered for as a president who let religious liberty guide the day, and I will still never forget when it comes to the moving of the uh, the recognition of the, uh, the, the proper capital city of Israel, which is Jerusalem, and how it had been in Tel Aviv forever. And just about every American president over the past 20, 30 years has said, oh, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to we're going to basically what would happen is the U.S. would move their embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And by doing so, saying we're moving it here because this is the capital where others would recognize Tel Aviv as the capital. And it's amazing how many countries, once Donald Trump actually did this, um, followed suit. I had uh, the privilege of chatting with the former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee. Uh, shortly after this all went down, he had a book out and he was talking about his kids. We talked about Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who's running for governor in Arkansas now, which is just amazing to see her following in her dad's footsteps. She was the White House press secretary at the time. But I remember having a conversation with him about that. And I asked Governor Huckabee, what was it like? You can go back, by the way, in the archives, thebottomlineshow.com, and you could find that. It was, it was um, I want to say it was about three and a half, four years ago, maybe. But I think our archives will go back that far. I remember asking him about President Trump, and it was either during the interview or in the commercial break. And I said, what was it about that, you know, that, that made him? He said, well, he's tough to work with. There's no question about it. But at the same time, when it came to religious liberty, he always put, you know, the religious expression of the people who were there uh, first and foremost. So he didn't try to make the world a Christian nation. That was what George W. Bush was accused of in his nation building plan. But Donald Trump's program was really more a question of saying, OK, if you're Muslim, this is going to be a Muslim nation. If you're Jewish, it's a Jewish nation. If you're Christian, you know, it's a, and it's a Christian nation. And he said part of it was a huge move for him to say, we're going to move the capital from Tel Aviv to uh, Jerusalem. And I remember President uh, Governor Huckabee telling me that he had a meeting with President Trump. He was part of an advisory team. And they asked him, you know, about what to do. 
And Governor Huckabee said, I told the president, you should move uh, the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. It's just the right thing to do. And it will send the right message to the world, but also here to your constituents, especially the church. And so then he decided not to do it. He kind of recognized that he could do it, but he didn't do it. And it was a month or so later, he did, did, said, we're moving the embassy. And he called Governor Huckabee and he said, hey, Mike, I just want you to know we're moving the embassy. And, and Governor Huckabee asked him, well, why did you do it? And President Trump responded, because it's the right thing to do. Now, understanding that kind of leadership, I mean, that, that's the part of Donald Trump that the public didn't always see when they were chasing after his angry tweets and, you know, wondering about Miralago and whether or not he was going to you know, have tax issues in the state of New York. But it was interesting to see the number of countries who followed suit, who moved their embassies from Tel Aviv, which was recognized as the political uh, capital of, of Israel, to Jerusalem. I mean, dozens of countries started following. Uh, the United Arab Emirates followed. I mean, there, there were huge uh, foreign relations changes that happened because of the president's decision to heed his good counsel, uh, the counsel that he was given, and move the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. But once he left office, we had to wonder, okay, President Obama and President Biden were both a team in uh, 20, uh, 2008 and 2012, and they rather famously went on the Middle Eastern apology tour. You know, it was anything they could do for, Ham it seemed like for Hamas or Iran or Iraq, and Israel was always getting the short end of the stick. And Israeli leaders who were on this program, we had the former mayor of uh, Shiloh, and we had uh, the U.S. ambassador to Israel on with us a couple of times, and they would never, ever badmouth the administration. But you could tell there was a huge sigh of relief when Donald Trump came in and started recognizing Israel for who the Israelis believed they were. Well, last week, there was a very interesting announcement that was made. I take that back earlier this week, um, where Australian Foreign Minister Penny Wong held a press conference, and during that press conference, she showed the whole world how far Australia has come in terms of moving away from Western values. I know a lot of people um, in the church especially, if you were doing any kind of international broadcast television or radio ministry, they'd say, if you're gonna expand out of the US, one of the first places we recommend is Australia because it's very much kind of like California. Well, boy howdy, ever since COVID, <laughs> Australia has become California. And we'll tell you how much California they have become based on what we heard at the press conference earlier this week when it comes to what Australia is saying about the true capital of Israel. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Want to continue receiving income into retirement with little market risk? Dennis Wilson and Wilson Financial Services can help you secure a permanent income and benefits addressing your risk tolerance with professional advisory knowledge. You have a large 401k or IRA as your retirement nest egg. How about a four-dimensional plan that will pay you and your spouse income for life without stock market risk? How about we include inflation benefits so your income goes up annually? How about we include extra income benefits for long-term care? And if you need one or both, you both have it. That's right, permanent income inflation benefits, long-term care benefits with no market risk. We have put over $50 million of our clients' money in the 4D account in the last few years. These clients are sleeping way better at night. Learn more when you call Wilson Financial today at 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're taking a look at Israel. Israel through the eyes of scripture, Israel through the eyes of American diplomacy, and now the uh, foreign minister of Australia. 
the center-left Labor Party government is now in power. And uh, prior to that, uh, there was a, uh, uh, well, there was a shift that, uh, of course, when Donald Trump made his decision to move the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, um, then that's where uh, Scott, when Scott Morrison was prime minister, he formally recognized West Jerusalem as Israel's capital. That was back in December of 2018. The Australian embassy stayed in Tel Aviv, but Australia did recognize Jerusalem as the true capital of Israel. Well, now Penny Wong is the foreign minister. The Labor Party, which is more of a center-left government, is in control. And what they did in this meeting two days ago is that the cabinet has reaffirmed that Jerusalem's status must be resolved in peace negotiations between Israel and the Palestinians. And until that happens, they are going to again recognize Tel Aviv as the true capital. Australia claims to be committed to a two-party solution. But it's interesting because her reasoning for saying this, Minister Wong said, quote, uh, Australia is committed to a two-party solution in the conflict between Israelis and Palestinians, and we will not support an approach that undermines this prospect. Uh, Israel Prime Minister Yair Lapid expressed his disappointment in Australia's changed position. In a statement, he said, uh, Jerusalem is the eternal undivided capital of Israel, and nothing will change that. Uh, Israel's foreign ministry said that it will summon the Australian ambassador over the issue. We'll be able to see what that actually uh, uh, heads up. Of course, senior Palestinian officials say that they welcome Australia's decision, quote, and its affirmation that the future of sovereignty over Jerusalem depends on permanent solutions based on international legitimacy. One of the many battles being fought over Israel right now from without and within and that's why you got a couple minutes left to call in to get a copy of Shaul Katsav's book, Israel's Enemies Within. A uh, man born and raised in Tel Aviv, uh, now a, an American missionary, if you will, living in Texas, uh, has written this book to kind of help us understand what's really going on and what's really at stake in, Jer- in Israel right now, Jerusalem too. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, thank you so much for everyone who's been calling in for this book. Also, thanks to everyone who's been calling in with your donations to Preborn. That campaign is ongoing. Got another call yesterday. Five more babies saved thanks to your efforts through the donations to ultrasound technology through Preborn. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229. A $28 donation saves one baby. 140 saves five. 280 saves 10. You can also make that donation online, by the way, when you go to kbrightradio.com or thebottomlineshow.com. And you can give your tax-deductible donation there, I like to say, in 28 seconds or less. It's really easy to do and safe and secure. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. And uh, Rabbi Schneider with Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. For those who remain on the network, it's this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Bob, John, Neal, and yours truly getting busy talking about elections. Coming up next as the bottom line continues.